Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily. Nonprofit trade associations are unique. A president every year means a unique learning style from year to year. The constant is the CEO, and the constant with the 23,000-member Missouri Association of Realtors is John Seabree. John's undergraduate degree in organizational behavior and business management is as relevant to him today and maybe even more so, as it was when he was an undergraduate in Kentucky, insisting there is no one leadership or management style that works for everyone, John has found a way to successfully engage staff and volunteers to be their best in all situations. Welcome, John Seabree. How are you? I am doing wonderful, Lily. It's so good to be with you today. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am ready to pour out my heart. All right. So can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Yes, I grew up in rural Kentucky and was sort of a dreamer and always dreamed of ending up in Washington, D.C. someday. And I went to college in Northern Kentucky, and then right after college, got a job in Washington, D.C., and that led me on the path that I'm on now. I have worked for nonprofit realtor associations for almost 30 years, and I spent 13 years in the Washington, D.C. office of the National Association of Realtors after working on Capitol Hill for a few years, and then 11 years with the Florida Association of Realtors, And now I'm the CEO of the 23,000 member Missouri Association of Realtors. Tell me a little bit, because I look at realtors, I don't see nonprofit. Educate me here, because I'm very ignorant when it comes to this space. No, it's, it's an exciting story to tell, because the realtors as a whole are the largest trade association in the world. And it's because the National Association of Realtors owns the word realtor. So it's not like the education association that owns the word education or the teachers association owns the word teacher or the doctors association owns the word doctor. We're very unique in this way. And so we have what's called a three-way agreement and a realtor that you know that is a money-making entrepreneur in your area, no matter where in the country, a realtor is a member of their local board of realtors, their state association of realtors, and their national association of realtors because of this three-way agreement that we have. And so let's say someone is in Atlanta. They're a realtor. They join the Atlanta board of realtors. They pay all of their dues there. They become a member of the Georgia association of realtors and the national association of realtors. So it's the association. I am not a realtor. I am an association executive running the nonprofit trade association that is the realtors in the state of Missouri. 
Got it. All right. So, John, how would you describe your leadership style? I believe that I'm a very inclusive leader. And if you were to define it in sort of traditional terms, I would say I'm a servant leader. And that's something that I think educators <laughs> relate to. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's very appropriate for a person who is dedicating themselves to a nonprofit association as well. So whether it's a charity or an association or education, I think a servant leader like me is someone who really cares about the people I work with, the people I work for, and the end product. And what draws you to servant leadership? I know for many people that I've spoken to, there's that journey, right? And then there's a moment where they pivot, or maybe Would several be, moments where they pivot. Right. Would it be corny to say it was my grandmother's? Tell us. <laughs> I believe my grandmothers were both great influences on me, and they were different, but best friends. Their children divorced each other, my parents, mm -hmm. but my grandmothers became even better friends because they were such an influence on us as kids growing up. And I looked to them as servants. One grandmother had been a teacher for over 50 years and she had worked hard in the mountains of Eastern Kentucky and then continued to teach throughout Kentucky and got her master's. Another grandmother had worked hard since a very young age on a farm and then many different ways. And I think they left a lasting impression on me for how they served others. And it always put others' needs ahead of their own. And it just stuck with me. Made me think of my grandma, who did have an influence on me as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, John, which quotes speak to your life and why? You know, there's so many. And I think, you know, you hit on something when you said you think of realtors as for-profit and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm in this world and have been for so many years where on the one hand, my audience is that person that I'm trying to help make more successful. And on the other, it's running the association in a really tight way that doesn't spend a lot of dues revenue and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm always thinking about ways to do new things. And I would say one quote that I love to use is figure out a way or don't complain. <laughs> I love that. You know, there's always that person that wants to complain about things, but are they part of the solution? Mm -hmm. You know, let's don't, Put that negative energy out there as a complainer. Let's harness that energy and make things better for everyone. I'm so big into teams. To me, it's all about creating a team. And, you know, there are those who are insecure and they surround themselves with people who just tell them how great they are versus the right people <laughs> that challenge them. And so I'm big on talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. We're in this for the long haul. It's not about one scrimmage or one game. This is about doing good for the long term. So what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? What it means to me is the difference between winning and losing, being successful and being a failure. And so to me, the team is everything mm -hmm. and finding those people who complement each other. 
And, you know, we all do those personality tests and we think we all need to relate somehow or be like others. And really it's about finding the people that are so different that combined we complete a circle. That is so, so important. I mean, I recently discovered that many people in a particular association or a particular group happen to be a certain personality style, which makes right. sense why they are so stuck. And you know, the other interesting thing too is not to pigeonhole people. Mm -hmm. So you get people on a team and maybe the last place you worked, everyone in the finance department was a bookworm who loved numbers. And you just think, oh, well, that's what a finance person is. And then you go to another place and you find, well, this finance person is so outgoing and they love to talk to other people in the office about advocacy or something else that they're doing. And it's so unique to the person. So the team can take so many different forms and you know, just allow people to do the things that they love. I talk to my teammates. Of course, I'm the boss, and sometimes they jokingly call me boss, but I refer to them as my colleagues. No matter where we are, in front of others, I don't say, oh, hey, I'm John, I'm his boss, or I'm her boss, or something like that. I'll say, oh, I'm John, I'm Sam's colleague, or I'm Jill's colleague, because it's not about the boss relationship. It's mm -hmm. about how we make each other feel. And when you feel really good about what you're doing, you accomplish more, you're happier with your environment. And you that work harder. You do. And it leads into the second part of your question. You said, you know, how do you build them? And it's, you know, giving that positive reinforcement and not hitting the roof when something goes wrong or trying that the sky is falling, you know, when a deadline's missed. I learned this early on. Take everything that happens to me and make it an example. Mm. Learn from it. That requires that you be very intentional and present. Very. Thank you for sharing that, John. Sure. Now, can you tell us about a leader who inspires you? Oh my goodness. I can tell you, this will probably be the opposite of what you expect and what other guests have said. But, you know, when I was in college, I sort of fell into my major. It was business management, but organizational behavior. That was the track I took. And it just spoke to me at the time as, you know, if I'm in organizational behavior, that should help me no matter what I do in the future, because it's about making sure that people work well in teams and work well together. Mm -hmm. Well, here I was, a poor kid from rural Kentucky, graduating from college, as the student body president, I worked hard, I'd done all this, and I get a job in Washington, D.C., working on Capitol Hill. And the person that I worked for, I hate to say it, but was a tyrant. <laughs> John, that happens often. <laughs> and the reason I'm telling you this is because I learned more from that person and how they acted about how I wanted to be. You know, here I was fresh out of college, and if I had gone to work for that wonderful superintendent or that great principal or that elected official that was just so wonderful and inclusive, it might not have hit me what I had learned in college. You know, I might have just thought, well, this is how it is everywhere. But instead, right out of the gate, I was faced with the most challenging boss <laughs> that anyone could ever have. 
and he loved to make people cry and scream at them and leave the doors open so that everyone could hear him screaming and belittling. And I immediately learned that is the opposite of what I want to be. It made me so much stronger. I also had to realize he's not screaming at me because of something I've done. He's screaming at me because he's so unhappy in his own life. That took some reflection. It may have taken some time because when you're in it, you're not thinking that way, right? You want to react. Right. What advice can you give someone who's listening, who's going through that? You know, here I was living paycheck to paycheck in a very expensive city, didn't know many people. I stood on my principles. Going back to those grandmothers and the things that they taught me, as much as I needed my paycheck that week, (laughs) when that boss was screaming at me so that the world could hear, I actually said, and I don't know where the strength came from, I said, can you hold on just a second? And he looked at me like I had three heads. Who asked him to hold on a second? I walked over and slammed one door shut. I walked over and slammed the other door shut. So no one could hear because that's what he loved. And I said, you don't scream at me like that. Why would I deserve to be treated the way you're treating me right now? And I said, I'm going to go to the other room and maybe you'll have new thoughts on how you should be treating me, but I probably won't come back tomorrow. And that took more strength than I knew I had because I needed the paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, I had moved and he called my desk and apologized within minutes and said, I needed someone to tell me that. I wasn't screaming at you. I was screaming because I was angry and he told me what he was angry about. It was things at home but he was taking it out on those of us at work and everyone was such a cheerleader. They would just say, Oh, you're right for doing that. And no one would stand up to him. And from that day on, he respected me more than anyone in the office. It takes courage, John. It took so much more (laughs) than I knew was in me. Mm -hmm. And it has helped me until today. I did the right thing. Now, did you have go-to people, an inner circle In situations like this, I find that that's so important. You know, I did because as a young person living in Washington, D.C., everyone is in that same situation where you're almost like an orphan there. You know, obviously we have a strong support system back home, but in that environment, you're all in it together and we were all going through the same thing. It's just none of them had had the courage to stand up. And the minute I walked out, People were high-fiving me because they could hear through the door. (laughs) They knew what had just happened, and it inspired others to take a stand for themselves. It's a great journey, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, John, what's the best advice you've ever received? Gosh, you're taking me back to these early years today, but they were so formative. I think it's important. What I didn't mention, that senior year of college when I was the student body president, but I was also trying to hold down two jobs, I was sick every day from nerves and anxiety and the feeling that I wasn't doing everything as well as I could because I was doing too many things. And I got to Washington and I thought, this has- The least stressful place on earth. (laughs) Yeah, it was more stressful too. But I met a friend who is my age working the same thing. And his father was this extremely positive role model. 
And he said, you've got to change your thinking to change your life. If I'm going to be so worried about everything, it's going to cause me ulcers and I'm not going to be around to do good things for these people. Mm -hmm. So I had to get this positive new attitude and change my thinking. And it's been with me every day since. So that's 30 years of positive thinking. I changed my thinking and I changed my life. And that requires practice. Yes. So, John, can you tell us about a challenge? I mean, we've heard some already. The challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life. You know, I'm sitting here in the middle of the United States now in Missouri, where things are fairly calm. But the 11 years prior to this, I was in Florida. And when I got to Florida, here I was a senior executive with one of the largest real estate associations in the country. And things were pretty good, but we had an economic crisis soon after that. And Florida was ground zero for that. Hmm. And so the challenge was we had a certain number of members and the membership fell drastically. So there was that internal struggle of budget cuts and staff changes and that kind of thing. But then those members who continued to be members and struggled and, you know, we were the foreclosure capital of the United States. So trying to find ways to understand these new issues that I hadn't dealt with before, such as foreclosures and short sales. And so we were very focused and I was a big part of that, working with government officials both at the state and national level to figure out how are we going to get out of this? You know, what programs do we need? What legislation do we need that isn't currently here? And working with major financial institutions and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And so to me, that was probably one of the biggest professional challenges that I've had to deal with, that major shift in a market that impacted my membership so greatly and impacted the public so greatly. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. You know, this brings me back to some things that I've experienced because I had an organization. And so when we experienced crisis, I had to focus on what the staff needed. And I imagine that that was the same for you, that you were looking for support. You were looking for knowledge about foreclosure and working with the government, all for the benefit of the members, correct? That's exactly right. And for the benefit of the consumer, you know, it tugs at your heartstrings to know that families are losing their houses and just how tough that can be. You know, we love to think that children are so resilient, Mm -hmm. but then you see a nightline report on the number of children in Orlando that were living in hotels at the time and things that really tug at your heartstrings and it gives you purpose in your day job (laughs) to try to do everything you can, not just to help the member, but the ripple effect of helping the member is huge. Mm -hmm. You're right. The members paid my salary, so I had a duty, but by helping them, 
the ripple effect would continue through the community and help those children and those families. Right. And I guess what I'm getting at too is that it's not just about the bottom line, although that's important, but at moments like this, when you focus on service, which is what your leadership style is. Yes. Um, in fact, you know, I will tell you very recently, there's been major flooding in the Midwest and there were also tornadoes on May 22nd. Mm-hmm. So immediately after that, we started thinking, what can we do to help the public? You know, we do focus on our members a lot, and there may have been members who were flooded out of their homes or were hit by a tornado, but we are the realtor organization. We want to do something to help the families that have been impacted because they lost a roof or their entire house is flooded and they can't get to it. Mm -hmm. So I applied for a grant from our National Association of Realtors And as of today, in seven weeks, we have helped 210 families stay in their homes by paying their monthly mortgage or their rent payment. It was enough to just put them over the top, you know, Mm. they were struggling and they had the Red Cross to help them with certain things and they had other community groups, but no one was offering to pay their monthly mortgage or their monthly rent payment. And for the last two months, I've been focused on that in the entire state and to be able to help 210 families makes you feel really good. And hearing that makes me feel really good. (laughs) That's wonderful. Those were voluntary contributions from realtors that funded that. This was not out of dues or our budgets. This was, we need funding to help these families. And these are volunteer dollars that came from realtors, not just in Missouri, but around the country. It's a really exciting story. That is an exciting story. And it it leads to another question I have. Tell us about one of your greatest successes. I would say my biggest success would be the transformation that I made because of college from the shy kid who couldn't speak in front of a group to my parents being at graduation, looking for me in the crowd and not finding me because I was on stage because I was the student body president. And I was the one shaking hands and receiving awards and getting a standing ovation. That's a long way from the humble small town. And it wasn't like I was talking about that. You know, when I was home at Christmas or Thanksgiving, I wasn't saying, guess what I'm doing? So I think they were shocked to see when they got there just what a transformation I had made. And again, I don't think about that a lot, but you've really made me uh, delve back into my uh, younger days. You spoke about transformation, and I believe that we should go through that several important moments in our lives. But when you think about your transformation, what was the catalyst for that? Well, I'm a dreamer, and I remember... My dreaming has transformed over time as well. So when I was young in my hometown, I was dreaming about moving on from this really small town and doing big things. And so this is strange. I've never talked to anyone about this, but I think as that shy kid and then as the shy freshman, sophomore in college, I was running things through my head like, what if I was asked to speak in front of a group? What would I say? And I practiced the speech. And then I thought, 
what if I was invited to the White House someday? What would I say to someone? And I sort of practice that internally. And I think <laughs> practicing that to myself helped when the opportunity came and a microphone was put in front of me, something came out. <laughs> and it didn't sound rehearsed, but it was something that I had basically rehearsed with myself in my head. It was like daydreaming. You know, that sounds amazing because imagination is one of our strongest gifts and we don't use it enough. And when we do use it in a situation like you just spoke about, it can create a reality. Isn't that amazing? Yes, I think it, it is amazing. I will be dreaming and I'll put myself to sleep dreaming. So really it's daydreaming instead of night dreaming that's mm -hmm. unconscious. But then it does come to fruition. It's amazing how that works. Yes, it is. All right. So, John, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? Well, I have learned from every situation I've been in. You know, I never turn and run. I dive right into it. It can be a challenge at the time. You're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to go through this or whatever. But accepting everything that happens as a learning experience just makes you so much stronger. And so for years, I was a lobbyist. You know, I lobbied at the national level for many years and then the state level for many years. So I was so focused on that. But when I took this job as the CEO, the lobbyists work for me and they're part of the team, but I am learning every other aspect of association management. And I love that. You know, I always thought of myself as a generalist on a number of issues from an advocacy perspective, but now I see myself more as a generalist on all of the issues that make up running a large organization. And I learn every day from my colleagues because the people that are in all these jobs are so much smarter than me on their aspect of this team. And I learn from them, you know, me and my dreaming, <laughs> you know, I'll say to them, well, what if we did think about it this way in a little different way? And they'll take their knowledge and run with it in another direction. So I would say that lifelong learning, constantly accepting the challenges that come to you and learning from them and learning how to not let history repeat itself if it wasn't a good thing. And when you see someone doing something that you did earlier in your career and realize, you know what? With a little tweak, I think they'll appreciate my constructive criticism and it'll take them in a new direction. And so learning how to teach others is important and doing it in the right way because, you know, there are those who don't take criticism well. So you find new ways to do that and learn what makes people tick. You know, not everyone responds the same way and not everyone works the same way. One thing that I've learned, all the organizations I worked in were very out of sight, out of mind. So everyone needs to be in the office. It was more of the old like IBM think, old school. And then today you realize we're in such a different environment. And one of the things that I've probably learned the most recently is how much we can accomplish if you let people be a little more flexible in their work-life balance. We just moved offices after 35 years in the same office with this organization. 
And we moved into a space where a high tech company had been and it's so open and there's all this collaborative space and things we didn't have before. And I've started learning how much better we do when we're together sharing and we all go to the break room with our computers because it's Wi-Fi and you're not having to be connected and learning to roll with the punches, I guess it is. And learning that there's a new economy out here and a new way of thinking and the younger generation thinks differently than the older, but we all have to work together. So embracing diversity in the workplace. It's funny. I wrote down embracing before you said it. I was so tuned into you. One of the questions that you ask that I think is really important for leaders to ask is what if? Because you're using your imagination, you're futuring, future thinking, you're envisioning things. I love that you do that. What if? You also spoke about being flexible as a leader. And I know that before we connected, you spoke about the Wi-Fi and having to embrace that. And you weren't frustrated at all. You were just embracing that and learning, right? Well, let's learn this together, which is really a wonderful thing to do as a leader. With that, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? Well, I read the same way I watch TV. I've got lots of things going at once. Like, I don't binge watch the same thing in a row. I'll watch a few episodes of this and a few episodes of that. So I'm the same way with books. I keep a stack by the bed and I keep a stack in the office. And I'd say from a leadership perspective, the two things that I'm most focused on right now are my president last year gave me the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And I'm loving it because, you know, it's sort of about drawing that thick black line and only operating above it because above that line is being conscious and being open and curious and committed to learning where below that line, we don't want to be because that's closed and defensive and just so focused on always being right. And it's all about me and what's right. So that book is speaking to me. I'm really enjoying that. But I was at a conference and I'm a national leader in a group and we had a speaker. The Energy Bus was his first book. And a lot of people had seen that. But the new book by John Gordon was The Power of Positive Leadership. And that one speaks to me because I think it does remind me so much of my organizational behavior track as an undergrad all those years ago and just being positive and transforming teams to get that end result that you want. So The Power of Positive Leadership by John Gordon and The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. There are several authors, Jim Dethmer, Diana Chapman. So those I would highly recommend. That's gold for us. Thank you so much. Now, as you know, my focus is always education because I think that's where we can raise great leaders of tomorrow. John, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? You know, I'm a product of a four-year public high school and then a four-year public college undergrad and then a private very well-known college for my master's degree, the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. So I've sort of seen it all. But, you know, in my high school class of 25, I was the only guy to go straight to college. You know, at the time, I thought that was sort of a big deal because I felt like 
why isn't everyone going to college? And I've since realized in a lot of places, there is this focus and there is this expectation that you go to college. And I'm glad I had that expectation from those two grandmothers I was telling you about. There was never a question for me and it was the right thing for me. But I think sometimes we don't stop and realize enough, at least our elected officials don't, that there are other options in education such as vocational and technical education Mm -hmm. that is really necessary for our economy to be successful. We need experts in all of these areas. And I don't know that we're letting our younger generation know enough that this is a great place where you can make great money and let's help you get the education that you need and the technical skills you need. Maybe it's a four-year college for you, but for you, maybe it's two years of technical school doing this to become an expert. And so there's that. And then from my experience as an advocate in real estate, I will tell you one of the most frustrating things for me is that the teachers of our children aren't likely shopping in the same grocery store as our children because they can't afford to live in the neighborhoods where they work. So, you know, of course, I've come at that from an attainable workforce housing angle, but the education community needs to come at this from, we need to pay our teachers what they deserve. These are the people that have such incredible influence on the younger generations, and they deserve so much more than they're getting. They should not be using their personal funds to supplement their classroom experiences. Well, John, I'm going to give you a couple of gold stars for that one. Okay. <laughs> fantastic. And that's for uh, someone from outside the education yeah. realm talking. And that's valuable. So I really appreciate that. Now, John, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? I would say if you read lots of time management books, I don't follow those. <laughs> <laughs> I read them and then immediately forget because a couple of things. One, I don't totally turn off on a weekend. I continue to respond. If you were sending me notes over the weekend, I would just continually, I'd pick up my phone and stay on top or fire up the laptop because I don't want to start Monday morning behind the curve. I want to start Monday morning far ahead of everyone else or just ahead for me. So I'm also a huge list maker. I make lists as I think of things, and this is the beauty of the phones that we have now. You can be driving down the road to the grocery store and have a brainstorm about something related to work, and if you don't write it down, you're probably gonna forget it or you'll remember it when it's too late. But without hands leaving the steering wheel and eyes leaving the road, I can voice note, I can add to my list of things to do so that it's always there for me. And then the last thing I would say is my watch tells me to breathe. And I I laugh because I think, was I not breathing before? You know, obviously I was breathing, but my watch seems to know when I need to take deep breaths and I do it. My watch tells me to stand, I stand because, you know, you can always put these things off, but it's smart enough to know that I probably need to do a minute of deep breathing right now Mm -hmm. and reset. 
And I think that's very important because I do something similar because I can hyper-focus on something that I'm working on that I forget to take those breaks. You know, that breathing that you talked about. And it's so important to take those breaks. And so this is where we could use the technology to do that, to practice self-care. We tend to forget that. It's more life management than it is time management. Right. And, you know, we can let that technology take over our lives or we can use it to our benefit. And I think there's a consciousness there of doing it right. John, thank you for sharing that. Now, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would remind myself that someone's always watching and those first impressions really matter because I learned from an early age that the people that I was meeting on the way up were the same people I would meet later in life or moving on. I didn't dream I would move on to Florida or to Missouri, but it's coming full circle now that in Missouri, I will meet someone with an organization and they'll say, oh, I've heard about you from my Washington DC colleague. They said to look you up because you'd be a great resource or you were always great to them. I was in New York City recently My neck of the woods. Yes. I was there for a meeting and I met up with a guy that had worked in the Obama administration that I knew in Tallahassee, Florida, but now he's back in his hometown of New York City. We got together and he is a senior executive with a pretty major company that we all know. We had a three hour long dinner and he said, you know what? I've never told you this but I credit you with getting the job I have today. And I said, why would you credit me? I wasn't a reference. And he said, it was things that you talked about when we would meet in Tallahassee, when I would talk to him and his boss at the time, and the way that I approached things, he took that as an example, and he has applied that to his next two positions. And he said it helped him get his current job. It blew me away Mm. that someone was paying that much attention all those years ago and that they still credited me today. And I hadn't seen this person in eight years. I have a smile from ear to ear, John, because that's what leadership is. Your influence and how you value people. John, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, the only thing I would say is, you know, following on things you've already pulled out of me, but never stop learning, never stop listening, be the example yourself that you want to see in others. And people are paying attention. They are watching you. Today, we see people walking down the street with a phone in their face and not interacting. And we need to be conscious of interacting with others and letting them see you smile and giving them a pat on the back for the good things they're doing because it means something. It means a lot. And if you're nice to that person and a good example, the ripple effect is going to be there. They're going to be nice and a good example to someone else. Well said, John. I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Well, thank you, Lily. This has been an amazing experience for me and I Hope that we stay in touch. We will. This has been so much fun and I've learned a lot. Have an amazing day. I will. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck 
to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.